You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. We can listen to announcements later. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of, our, of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And I want everybody to hear this. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to minister to us right now in opening up our heart and soul to say yes to you, to not forget who we were, and to also remember who we're going to be. In your name we pray, and everybody said, amen. I've had a lot of conversations with people one-on-one lately. One of the things I felt the Holy Spirit tell me was that as a pastor right now, my job is to pray and to have a lot of one-on-one conversations. And I see why. I see why. Because the Spirit has been filling my life as I talk and listen to your life. And one topic that we've been discussing all year is the request for God to strengthen our hands, as it says in Nehemiah, for the rebuilding of our church after the storm and basically assault and battery of COVID on the church. We've turned in on ourselves. We've gotten comfortable with things. We forgot what it means to press, forgot what it means to give of our time. I've had numerous, and when I say numerous, I try not to flub numbers. I've had a dozen people say, I don't know how we did it before. I can't imagine when we go back to normal doing all the things that I did before. And the Holy Spirit said to me, we are on the verge of grace amnesia because we forgot that the only way we've ever done it before was grace. That's the only way we've ever done anything that produces any kind of fruit is through grace. How did I get all the kids in the car and get them to church? How did I volunteer at these ministries? How did I work and get food on the table and sit and still do all these things? How did I ever do it? Grace. It's always been and it always will be grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And the God who gives that grace is no different before, during, or after COVID. We need to remember and not forget 
that it's grace. It's grace. I have decades of sermons on Palm Sunday, but I've said this before and I'll say it again. Whenever you have something good to say, that's not as important as being obedient with what you should say. You might have the correct information into somebody's life, but the question isn't, is your information good? The question is, is God telling you to say it now or not? Saying what needs to be said at the right time is as important as having the right thing to say. So I'm constrained a little bit today to essentially do a review of our last two sermons with some twists and a little seasoning on it, of course. But the series we've been in has been a prayer. I'm, I'm, I'm waking up, like, uh, the Spirit's been doing things even through the stuff that the Spirit has told me that I'm realizing as we go. This sermon series for 2021 is prayer. Lord, strengthen our hands for the work of rebuilding. That's prayer. We're asking God to help us see what parts of our lives are still strong and what parts need help. And two weeks ago, we preached the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And what did we say? We said, please don't forget, Salem, that my number one frustration with the church right now, if I had to put it into words, the number one frustration with the church right now is simply this. We have forgotten the power that we walk around with. I listen to people very carefully, and there seems to be a shrinking back of knowing who we are for more reasons than I have time to describe. But we have forgotten that when we wake up in the morning and those new mercies just fill our life, we are walking around with the exact amount of power that God wants us to walk around with to do what he's asked us to do that day. No more and no less than that. But I feel that we need to be reminded, if all you have, and this is cliche, but if all you have is a few loaves of bread and a few fish, you have everything if it's given to Jesus first. You have anger in your heart, offer it to Jesus. You have celebration in your heart, offer it to Jesus. You're confused about where you should be in life and what you should be doing and where you should be going, offer it to Jesus. You have people in your life that are just walking the wrong way and they can't see it and you got that ache in your heart, offer it to Jesus. You're walking around frustrated with where your career went or where you should be or how educated you are or how much money you have or you're excited about those things because they're working out, offer it to Jesus. They said, untie that colt, and if they ask you why you're untying it, let them know that if you give it to us now, I'll give it back to you. That's what Jesus said. We never get something back the same as when we gave it. I was just recently watching a show on ESPN, very spiritual, about how one of Michael Jordan's game-worn jerseys sold for like $1.85 million. The jersey's worth about 85 bucks. He wore it in a game, 1.85 million. Why? Because it was on him. We don't need to be Christians to be sacramental. We will buy shoes that a sweaty basketball player played a game in 
for millions of dollars because we know there's something different when somebody important has touched something. When they got that colt back, God had ridden on it. That colt carried God to his destiny and his purpose. You never get something back. Well, pastor, you just said to offer my anger to God, and he will give you your anger back, and it will be like Jesus' anger. He'll give you grief back, but it'll be like the grief that Jesus had. He'll give you joy back, but it'll be like the joy that Jesus has. He'll give you peace back, but like Jesus said, I don't give peace like the world. I'll give you my peace. Offer it. It's enough. You might feel like you're walking around and you're not enough. You might feel like the mistakes you've made or your station in life or the moment that you're in is just filled with more disappointment than it is excitement. I'm telling you right now, this is what Salem needs to hear. You're enough and own it when you walk around. Please know it. I've had unbelievably good conversations with people about this over the last few weeks, and I've come to an understanding, a way of describing something that's a little bit more clear. Here's what I'm not saying. Without Jesus, our works will always not be right. I thought I had some old school people who'd be like, finally, yes, he said it. Without Christ, even my good works are selfish. Without Christ, even the best of what I can do has no real value to it if Christ isn't involved in it. Amen? Amen. However, who I am is always good before him. What I do isn't, but who I am always is. How do you know this? Because while we were still sinners, Christ came and said, they're good enough for me to come. I see enough value in them to go and be for them what they cannot be for themselves. If we needed to do good to have value for God to then come to us, he would never have come. We would not have Christmas time, which would be the tragedy of all tragedies. Christmas is God saying, regardless of what you've done, you're still very good to me. I'm still coming for you. I'm going to find the lost coin. I'm going to find the lost sheep. I'm going to find the lost brother. I'm going to seek and save that which is lost. I'm going to draw all men unto myself because you're good to me. You've always been good to me. Why? If I don't mind saying so myself, I made you. God admires his own handiwork. We can't walk around thinking we're not valuable unless we get it right. That's demonic. That's what Satan wants us to think. I'm not good until I get it right. That's not the God we serve. When we sinned, when we all sinned in the garden in Genesis 3, what did God do? He left us and said, that's it. They separated themselves from me. I'm leaving. Or did he come and say, where are you? Where are my kids? Where'd you go? Where are you? Come out from hiding. I have clothes for you. I'm pretty sure in Genesis 3, he said, come here. I'm going to destroy the one who did this to you. He never says he's going to destroy them. He says he's going to destroy the serpent. And he never curses them. He curses the ground. Them he loves. Them he clothes. Them he covers. Well, pastor, he kicked them out of the garden. And guess what? He went with them. Genesis 4 
all the way to maps. And that weird cardboard page in the back. Genesis 4 all the way is everything God is doing with them, not in the garden. They've left the garden. The whole Bible exists out of the garden. And guess who's there? Them and God. Invasion. God doesn't mind his own business. He's going to keep coming for you. He's he's the only busybody whose busybodying is good. Stand at the door and knock. And if you don't open, guess what? John 20, I'll come through the locked door. But the house is a mess. Last week, we talked about if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. How many men? I don't think the church understands yet what the word all means. But we'll get there eventually. If I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. And then who was there on Good Friday? John? Mary? Peter? No. Judas? No. The rest of the disciples? No. Mean people were there. He's saying that. Why can't he say himself? That's how they sounded to God. In the movies, they're like, he saved others. He cannot save himself. But to God, they're like, meep, 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 meep. <laughs> no one's there. So how are you drawing all men unto yourself when the only person who came you told to go home? John, take your mother and go home. We're the way that God is drawing all men unto him. Why? Here's the point of the last two Sundays, and here's everything you need to know for Palm Sunday. God would rather not do anything than do something without you. Every miracle in John's gospel involves our participation. Jesus doesn't carry his own cross to Calvary without our participation. Jesus doesn't die on the cross by himself. He dies flanked between two criminals. He doesn't do anything by himself. He doesn't make his own Eucharist meal. He says, please go find somebody who has a table for us. And when you find somebody who has a table, please ask them if you can make this meal. Prepare this meal for me. Even though it's the meal that he's going to tell us to make for the next 2,000 plus years, Jesus has never shown up in this church and put this together. Ian did today. He's almost like Jesus. Grow the beard out a little bit and keep being as virtuous as you are. You're getting there. He always wants to participate with us. There's nothing. Who names the animals, God or Adam? When God tells Moses that he's going to give him the Ten Commandments, he tells Moses to chisel out the stones that he's going to write on. So when Moses brings these stones down the mountain that have the writing, the oracles of God, the the heart of God expressed in words on them, it was God's words, but the stones were Moses' design. Who built the tabernacle, God or the people? He doesn't do anything without you. I've been crucified with. He doesn't do anything without you. Please know who you are when you wake up in the morning. You are the person that God is saying. What does it say? It says he drew near, he was on his way to Jerusalem, and it says in previous texts that he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. No one was going to keep him from going. Agreed? I hope not. No one. But when he gets close, he stops. And he says, I'm not going further unless you participate in this now. 
you guys, go get the donkey. Do you understand what just happened? How many of you have ever hoped? Let's just be honest. It's a very comfortable space. Let's be honest. How many of you have ever hoped for, like, your moment to come? Come on. Eric, put your hand up. How many have hoped for your moment to come? Frank? How many have wanted that moment? Yes, two hands up in the back. That moment where somebody knows this was your time. This was your destiny. The world can see it. The world can know. Listen, you're looking at somebody who said, one day I actually am going to be a pastor. And everybody who said I wasn't, check out Facebook Live or something. You don't have to come anymore. We're, it's arrogant. It's arrogant. But watch this. We want our moment. Jesus is walking towards the reason why he came. He came to express God's love for us on the tree of death that we ate from to turn it back into the tree of life. This is why he's here. And he stops and says, I will not have my moment by myself. You guys go get a donkey. What did he just do? He just included the disciples in going. He just included the people who own the donkey in giving. He just included the donkey itself, which if you think that's a minor detail, read the whole book of Jonah and then read the final word in the book of Jonah. Does anybody know what the final word in the book of Jonah is? Cattle. Whoever said that, if you were here in the first service, shame on you. Cattle. The final word in a story of unimaginable repentance and forgiveness is cattle. Because God cares about what he created and it's still good. So he invites disciples. He invites unnamed people who own this beast of burden, as the Bible will call it. He invites creation. What do we wave? We, he, they, they cut down leafy branches. Somebody hold up your palm branches. Where are they? Have you made them into whips? Have you spanked your children with them yet? Jesus went into the temple and made a whip of cords, which is why the church for 2,000 years has handed out palm branches. They've handed out whips. Kids, you better not make a mistake. Mom and dad have a, have a legal weapon that the church has given them. I used to smack Christine Katie with those things. And at the Reformed Church, because nobody ever made any noise, you heard it, and it echoed. And then they would get in trouble if they yelled at me back. It's always the retaliation. The, the guy who hits back gets the penalty, right? The Eagles do that all the time. They're undisciplined. Where were we? He invites creation to worship him. Leafy palm branches, cloaks made out of garments. I mean, everything in creation is joined in to Jesus and his moment. But there's one point I want to fixate on here. And that is the point where they say, untie the colt and bring it to me. Untie the colt and bring it to me. What I want you to know is that God won't do anything without you. And he won't ask you to do something that you're not already qualified for by his grace. We have two reasons why we 
ignore the call of God. Reason one is what I'm not preaching on, and that's the story where people have lands and fields and somebody just got married and they're too busy to do anything for God. I will be preaching on that. You mark my words. But for the next two Sundays, we have to be very nice because it's Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, so we'll be nice. And then I'll be nice the week after Easter too, I promise. We won't talk about those people. Then there are people who don't do what God calls them to do because they feel like there's just no value in them to do it. Or we've done this too many times and it doesn't work. Or who am I to give parenting advice? I've messed up. Who am I to give financial advice? I've messed up. Who am I to give advice about worshiping? I struggle to myself. Who am I to give advice to couples having a hard time in their marriage? I don't know what I believe about this anymore. Our theology has changed so many times. On and on and on we go. We will never say this directly to ourselves, but at the bottom of all of our excuses is an image that we have bought into that is not the image the Bible teaches us about. So here's the not nice part. Untie the colt and let it go. I want everybody in the room to please close your eyes for a moment. There is something in your life right now that is tied up, that you're possessing, that you're holding on to. And the way forward for you is to untie it and let it go. It belongs to you. It's your experience. It's what happened to you. Maybe for some of us, it's the, it's the life that we had 15 years ago that we loved so much that we don't have anymore. For others, maybe it's the fact that we're still living the life we lived 15 years ago and we hate it. Maybe it's work-related, parenting-related, whatever it is. You are possessing it. And you need to untie it. And you need to let it go. And guess what? You can't untie it yourself. Jesus sent disciples to go untie it. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he couldn't loose himself and let him go. Let himself go. He needed disciples to come and do it. This is the gory part of following Jesus to the cross is our business is open. But for some of us, the tighter we hold on to either an event, a moment, something we want, something we have that we don't want, whatever it is, the tighter we hold on to it, the more we step into that moment when Adam and Eve want it to be God without God. And the thing that we're possessing it, like I've said before, we no longer have it. It has us. The only way to have something is to let go of it. The only way to be had by something is to think that you can't let go of it. The world out there doesn't want to walk into this building because they think they need to be a certain way to get in here. Salem, you have two callings this week. One to let the Holy Spirit reach in and untie what you're possessing. And two, to help somebody else untie what they're possessing. To tell the world out there that they can let go. Because God will bring it back. But it will be different. It will be better. 
Don't fall asleep. You can open your eyes now. There was a child sleeping in the foyer after the first service, and the mother said, you always put my child to sleep. And I said, thank you very much. Oh, John laughs for the first time in 2021. (laughs) Untie it and let it go. I feel like I, I didn't say this in the first service, but I feel like I need to say it in this service. Jesus rode in on a donkey that had never had any burden placed on it before. It was young. It was youthful. And when I read that, the Holy Spirit reminded me of something that somebody had told me last year. You've heard me say this before. I'm going to keep saying a lot of things over and over again. Randall Worley, one of our overseers, said this. If you heard something a thousand times, don't get mad. Just ask yourself why 999 times wasn't enough. (laughs) He said, theologically speaking, the prime of our life is 60 plus. Begins at age 60 and goes on. That's the prime of our life said, in America, they've made the prime of our life 30 to 60. And he said, so we're rushing to get our children mature so that when they graduate and get married, the prime of their life could be spent well. But he said, our children don't reach their prime until 60. And by the time they reach 60, we'll be old enough to be able to see their prime and actually understand what it means. He said, I wish I could tell parents to slow down and not let our culture dictate how much time you have. 60 is the prime years. You want people to be raised well so they can live well from 60 on. Go read the Bible. Find out how old people like Moses and Abraham were when God called them. Moses was 80. So why did Jesus come in his 30s? He came in his 30s to bear a burden that we were going to bear that we couldn't bear for ourselves. He came to show us that we don't need to be in the rush that we think we're in. Well, how can you say that? Because he left and hasn't come back yet. (laughs) He didn't leave things good. (laughs) Look who your pastor is. He should have come back at least in 2016. Again, Kerry. Two services in a row. Yes. Kerry and I were laughing when we were coming up the stairs from praying with the worship team. We're like, God's really left the church in our hands all of a sudden. Jesus gambles, (laughs) just so everybody knows. He's like, okay, mama wants a new pair of shoes. (laughs) We don't have to be in a rush. If that's for somebody, just take it. You don't have to be in a rush. 25, 28, 30, that's not what you're parenting for. You're parenting for the years. uh, Here's how Brother Randy says it. The years of our life where we're like a sponge, and when life squeezes us, nothing but goodness comes out. What do you need to untie and let go of? Here's how it's going to happen. John, thank you for not leaving this time. You're invited to come up because I don't want to do this part by myself. Because love refuses to do anything alone. So come. Uh, He stretches. This is unbelievable. (laughs) It's becoming a thing. I need somebody to play while you're coming. (laughs) Is there somebody who just knows how to like... You know what I'm saying? Like, we need somebody to play 
the wedding processional music. You know we're going to do that at some point, right? Thank you. Oh, my God. I want everybody to link at this one part. Has anybody ever been triggered before besides me? About to be triggered if everybody doesn't raise their hands. Have you ever been triggered before? Has something ever happened that made you forget yourself for a second? And have you ever spoken out of that triggeredness and learned this valuable lesson afterwards? I'd rather be scolded for not saying what should have been said than for saying what I shouldn't have said. Anybody but me. Jesus walks into his house, and in every other gospel, he immediately does something that is so gangster, I can't even believe it. He sits down and starts to make his own weapon that he's going to hit people with. Read the text. My parents spanked me, but they never whittled the wooden spoon out of a block of wood. That would have been horrifying. All of Mike Mandy's kids are like, yeah, speak for yourself. (laughs) Jesus sits down and makes a whip. He's like knitting. What is he making? Just watch. It's for you. I have a surprise. But in every other gospel, he does it right away. But in Mark's gospel, he gives us a clue. He says, Jesus walks into the temple and he looks around. Triggered angry. For some reason, pigeons and the mistreatment of pigeons make Jesus very angry. Read it. He yells at people until he sees the pigeons and then he starts flipping tables. He's like the homeless woman from Home Alone 2. Just loves the pigeons. He'd love New York City. He flips out. But in Mark's gospel, he walks in and he sees all of his triggers and he goes home. And he waits. He waits. He doesn't lose his temperament. Just because you flip tables doesn't mean you've lost your temper. Losing your temper means that your temper has you and you don't have it. Jesus' temper was measured. And the reality is he didn't flip a table for somebody he wasn't willing to die for seven days later. So here's what I want us to do as we enter Holy Week. Let's stand to our feet this morning. I told you for the last three weeks now that you are good and God will use you right now as you are. So that's why this next part of what I'm going to say is safe. If God was like anybody else, what I'm about to say would not be safe. But with God, this is safe, what I'm going to say. I might be the only pastor on Palm Sunday to say this, let's not have a good week this week. We're journeying to Jesus, and you say, okay, well, last year we journeyed to Jesus, and I collected a whole new boat of sins this year. Did anybody else get a few new ones? Resurrect some old ones? Figure out better ways to do something stupid? Like, I mean, so yes, we need to practice this every year, Just like a marriage, we need to celebrate that anniversary and recite those vows every year so we can deepen and strengthen, deepen and strengthen, deepen and strengthen. 
The more history you have, the more complicated it is, but the more beautiful it is. So here's what I want you to do this week. I want, God is coming over the house of your heart. Don't clean up before he gets there. And when he gets there, let him look around this week. Let him look around. You ever watch those magicians who like hit a key in a car and like a lot and they tell somebody like I'll lead you to find it and you can tell when they're getting closer and people are starting to freak out. Oh my God, they're three cars away. When God starts to get near things in your life that you don't want him to touch, don't, don't be like that. Let him look through your whole house. Let him open every drawer, every closet. Let him go into the attic and go into the basement. Let him look around. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to find some things that trigger him. He's going to flip some tables. He's going to drive some things out. It's going to hurt. But what he's doing is he's cleaning. He's healing. He's restoring. He's making all things new. He doesn't do that like we would do it in somebody's life. He does it in a way that is unimaginable. He makes it right. So let him over. And please understand, if you don't answer, he'll show up. And we won't he, he won't tell you what room he'll show up in. <laughs> I didn't know Jesus was here. What's he doing in the basement? He's coming. Let him in this entire week. Let him in this entire week. Let him look around. And here's what we're going to do. When the Israelites were bitten by serpents because of their sin, God told Moses to put a serpent up on a tree. And when they looked at the serpent, they were healed. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. I don't want you walking in this room on Good Friday. We're going to try to squeeze some more people than normal in. So sign up in groups for Good Friday. And if you can't, we're going to be live streaming it. But when you show up here, I want you to have one list. I don't want you to have a notebook. I don't want you to have a pen. I don't want you to take notes because this Good Friday is for looking. Those who looked at it were healed. This is for looking. It's not for academic. It's not for information. It's not for revelation. It's for looking. I want you to come with a list of things that Jesus found in your life when he looked around it. And I want you to listen to the stations of the cross. We're going to go through the biblical stations of the cross. Not the orthodox ones that could get a little weird. We're going to go through the Bible. And we're going to go through the moments of Jesus' passion for five minutes each. We're going to have Good Friday hymns. The worship team is going to bless us, and we're going to talk about the, the, all the, the parts of Jesus' passion. And all I want is for us to see him in all of his passion and be healed. And then sit with it on the Saturday of silence, and then celebrate on Easter Sunday that he's made all things new again. And whatever we accumulate next year, he'll do it again. So let him in. Don't have a good week. Have a rough week. Every holy week for my whole life, yes, I'm called. Yes, I've paid attention to it. And that's why I'm telling you has been an emotional, difficult week. Let it be. The weather gets weird during holy week. Have you ever noticed that? 
Frank, remember last Good Friday, it rained, snowed, and got hot all in the same day? We were texting like crazy. Everything is weird this week. Let it be weird. Be patient with your family. Be patient with each other. This is not the week to start calling each other out. You have the week after Easter to do that. <laughs> Don't do it this week. Let it be vulnerable in your home. Let everyone sit in that thin space. Your, your, your toxins will come to the surface. You'll think of things you haven't thought about in a while, stuff you've tucked way down in a way. Let him look through all of that this week. And I'm telling you, because he's already for you, he's the safe one to go and do that. He's not going to hold it against you. He's not going to beat it over your head. He's going to heal it. Come on Good Friday. If you're watching from home, come on Good Friday with an intention to look at the cross and be healed, but let's know what we need to be healed of this year. Let's not just come with some theoretical abstraction that it's Good Friday. Let's come knowing what we want the cross to touch in our life in real time and space this year. And I promise you, he will take you, you ready? He will take you to the next step of your healing. Might not heal the entire thing, but he'll take you to the next step. And every year, every month, every week, every day, he'll take you to the next step. Let's help each other down that road. On the night when our Lord was betrayed, on the night when everybody, he could see into the heart of every disciple, and he saw tables that he wanted to flip. But he doesn't flip tables before he feeds us. He took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. No table is going to get flipped like the table of my life. Jesus' table is going to get flipped upside down. His life is going to get punctured and bruised and beaten. He's going to express alienation. He's going to express thirst. He's going to step into every consequence of all of our sin. And he's going to cry out, Father, forgive them. After supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he said, This is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. A table he didn't set, a meal he didn't prepare, a house that wasn't his, he lets us participate with him. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would descend on these gifts and all the gifts in the room and make them for your people, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and the drink of new and unending life in him and sanctify our hearts also. Make us ready for you to come in. Give us the grace to keep our house a mess this week. We cry out with David this week, search me, O Lord, and see if there be any grievous way within me. Help us to untie what we've been possessing to come to you on Good Friday, to look at our Savior on the cross and be healed, to celebrate that death is empty on Sunday. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Receive them by faith in your heart and be nourished on the life of Jesus. Would you partake with me this morning?
Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.